The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Tim Cartwright here to wrap up our Hosea series, uh, The Persistent Love of God. Tim is our pastor to junior high students as well as local outreach. Does a phenomenal job for us there. So would you welcome my friend Tim Cartwright up here. It's funny. He's come a long way. He used to make fun of me every time I came up here. He's, I don't know. He's nice today for some reason, my friend. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Usually he makes fun of me somehow. I don't know. Uh, anyway, glad to be here this morning and uh, we're excited to wrap up this series in Hosea. In our last uh, six weeks, we've had an opportunity to look at this book, to look at different topics such as grace, uh, God's judgment, uh, love, and different things that we can find in the book of Hosea and in this story. We've seen a wooing that has taken place between Hosea and Gomer, his wife. Um, if you take too much time to think about that word, it'll kind of throw you off because that word is weird to say, wooing. Uh, you woo, you wooing, and I, I don't know who made that word up, but it's, it's an interesting word. Just say it in your head a few times and you'll sound weird. Uh, but the idea is that there's a wooing that takes place, a, a God who cares for his people, and he chose to demonstrate this through a man named Hosea, a prophet. And he took the time to even knowingly, knowing that his future wife would abandon him, would cheat on him, would go out and sleep with others, that he still went after her. And so there's this wooing that takes place, if you look in chapter 2, where it gives good insight into this process. And if you're a couple in here, uh, or maybe you're engaged, uh, you might understand this process. Hopefully, uh, you did uh, this wooing, and maybe you hopefully continue to do that. Even, even uh, down the road, you know, you still see that value there. So there's a wooing process, and uh, some of you might know me uh, well and know that I'm kind of a strange guy sometimes, and I think outside the box, and I don't like to color in the lines. And so my uh, attempts at wooing were a little bit different maybe than some of yours. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, you college kids or high school kids could take some notes because these are really amazing things that I didn't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, a lot of times they <laughs> I fell flat on my face. But uh, the idea of wooing, um, you know, I'm not the <laughs> smoothest guy on the block. So I'll tell you a few things that were my attempts at uh, wooing Candace. So one of the attempts was uh, we met in college at, in Virginia, and I worked for building services. And so we did a lot of the stuff on campus, like moving things, setting up things, tearing down, fixing things. And so there was a conference, it was a Christian school, so they had this pastor's conference, and they had all these flowers and plants on the stage, all on the front of the stage, and we were called to uh, get rid of them, right? So I'm thinking, man, that's a big waste just to chuck them in the dumpster, so I, uh, being part of building services, had a key to every room on the campus. It was an amazing thing and a really stupid thing the school did uh, for me. But I had a key. And so I took all those flowers that were loaded up in the box truck, and I thought, man, how smooth am I? I'm going to put these in my wife's room, her dorm room. Not my wife at the time, but we were dating. And so I opened the door put all these flowers and plants thinking it would be awesome because there's hundreds of them, you know? Who doesn't want to see hundreds of flowers and plants? Uh, you know, just smelling the room with beautiful smells, right? 
I didn't really think too far ahead because there's also thousands of ladybugs that go with those flowers. And so uh, apparently she had ladybugs everywhere. So uh, I told you I'm smooth. Uh, then, uh, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I always love to talk about Philadelphia. I love cheesesteaks, you know, and uh, you can't get good cheesesteak ingredients in Texas. You can't get them in Virginia. You got to get them from the source. So oftentimes, I would bring it down from Philadelphia when I visit, bring them home, cook for my roommates and things like that. But, but this time, I, I chose to cook for Candace, you know, impress her, you know, with my skills. And so I cooked for her, and we ate cheesesteaks together. And then she got deathly ill that night. And she was sick the entire night and will not eat one of those nasty sandwiches, according to her, uh, to this day. So again, I'm smooth, right? So the last one I'll I'll share with you, and uh, some of you maybe that are close to me know this story, but our engagement story. Uh, we used to love to, to walk along the Delaware River, right in the um, in kind of the shadow of the skyline of Philadelphia, uh, Delaware River, Penn's Landing. It's just a really cool place to walk. And so we'd go there and hang out. And so I decided to incorporate it into our engagement uh, situation, our story coming up. And so I was thinking, all right, how do I do this? She knows, she knows it's coming, you know. She's going back to Texas to get ready for this wedding. She already knows, knows it's happening. So I got to get creative. So my weird mind thought up the idea of having a friend of mine um, pose as a homeless man uh, with a trash bag with newspaper wrapped, uh, wrapping a uh, jewelry box, and we stumbled upon him as we walked along the river. Um, if you want to hear the rest of that story, you can catch me in the hall. It's a really good one. All I know is I was trying my best to propose to her as she walked away because my friend was pretending to wake up and uh, she didn't know what he was going to do to us. So uh, (laughs) wooing, wooing is a good thing. Uh, But fortunately for me, all those attempts that looked like they failed didn't quite fail because we just celebrated 19 years together. So yes, clap for her. (laughs) Oh man. She's put up with me for longer than 19 years, and I'm amazed. Uh, So there's a wooing that takes place between God and his people, Uh, a wooing that takes place between Hosea and Gomer. And there's also a situation when we look at our passage today where there's a love song that's written. And this love song is written by God to his people in Hosea chapter 14 that we're going to look at today. I don't know if any of you have a song as a couple. You know, maybe you have a song and and you have that song and maybe it's even playing in your head right now. Gary told me his song. I can't remember, but I told him he can't sing it. Uh, But you might have a song like, I knew Candace was the one for me because we got in the car one day and a country song came on and she said, will you please turn that off? And I said, a Texas girl that's beautiful and hates country music. I got to have her, right? So uh, some of you are offended right now. I'm sorry, but... We just can't deal with that. But we have genres of music. We like songs like, uh, like alternative music, like from the 90s. We like 80s, you know, hip-hop, even some rap, you know, we'll throw in there too. And uh, we just like some of those genres. But some of you have that song in your head right now. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe artists like Barry White, Adam Levine, Michael Jackson, Michael Buble, CeeLo Green, all those girls, Sheryl Crow and others. I, I'm not going to start naming girls because I'll just butcher Uh, some of those awesome artists, but you might have these songs in your head right now, and I want you to picture that because 
This is God uh, basically writing this song through his servant um, to his people. And so let's look at that today. Hosea chapter 14, uh, verse 1 says, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. Verse 4, I will heal their apostasy, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, he shall blossom like the lily, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out, his beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Verse 9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. So in these uh, verses, there's a, a passage that I never really studied before, like in, in depth. And so to get into this and try to understand what in the world is Hosea saying here? What is God saying? It took some time to, to figure these things out. But I think we can understand and agree that the first two verses could be a call to repentance. Verse number one, he literally says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. It starts with a plea. It starts with a begging to say, please return, O Israel. He's this passionate plea to his people to come back. In verse 2, he says, take with you words. And we don't have to go too deep into this. We take it for what it's worth. We take it on the surface to know that this is us being called to speak words of repentance. Just simply saying those words. And some of you may be in here today and say, God doesn't want to hear my words of repentance anymore because I've already said it a million times and it's the same old thing I've been doing. And I just, I'm, I know he's got to be sick of that by now. But Charles uh, Spurgeon, he, he gives a great quote on this. He says, he is more ready to hear than you are to ask. That God is saying to you, Here, insert your name, just like the people of Israel, just like Gomer, the wife of Hosea, saying, here, return to me, speak words. He says, receive us graciously that we may offer you the fruit of our lips. And he gets into the topic of even sacrificial bulls. And the idea, again, is the idea of our words being literally a sacrifice that's poured out to God, just like a bull was sacrificed in the Old Testament. An animal was sacrificed. Our words, physically speaking to God, is our ability to sacrifice back to Him, to repent and return to God using our words. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up with a dad. who He's a military guy. I love to I think about him on, on weekends like this and He's a military guy, so he was pretty stern with his discipline. And so when one of us four screwed up, or actually two of us four got in an argument, and uh, he would make us stand in front of each other. We stood in front of each other, and he'd make us look each other in the eye, and literally, with our words, clearly say, I'm sorry. He didn't let us stop there. 
say, will you please forgive me? And you know, I hated that. I hated that so much. And my dad knew it was probably phony that I was saying it, but he was trying to teach us something. He was trying to teach us the value of speaking words that were repentant words. Even at the time, I didn't really mean it. He's like, look at her, look at him. Say these words with your mouth. Don't just mumble them and <laughs> start mumbling. You know, all right, do it again. There were times I had to do it like 20 times because, you know, I'm mumbling, not looking at, you know, and he's just like, no, we're going to stand here for a while then. And the reality is we have the opportunity to give our sacrifice of our words. And in these moments where repentance needs to take place, God doesn't want your huge gifts, you know, to the offering or, or your, your guilt-ridden service to the needy to try to make up for the things that you should be confessing and repenting of. He doesn't want your time to be spent overcompensating with your family or trying to do these things that try to impress him and make him feel good about you again. He doesn't even want you memorizing, uh, you know, all the songs that Chris Tomlin ever wrote. And those amazing, beautiful words. He wants you to speak words of repentance. To come to an acknowledgement of your sin. And we see this in Psalm fifty-one, seventeen. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So it's a sacrifice of our words when we think about repentance, we realize that repentance is a return to a person, not a set of rules. And repentance requires an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of guilt. So as a testimony to the world around us, we as individuals and as a church have a great opportunity to both confess to one another in front of everybody and also to confess to our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he also gets into uh, the idea of security in verse 3. He talks about repentance, and then he moves into security. It says, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. So some of that might be a little confusing for you because you look at what's, what's with Assyria, what's with the work of your hands, the orphan. I'm not sure what's going on here. If you think about history, and if you look at the history of the people of God, you understand in this time, the Assyrians were a dominating group of people who were conquering kingdom after kingdom. And what often happened with the people of Israel, God's people, was they would go search for help from other nations instead of their God. They would go look for help other ways, and instead of the God who promised to be with them, to take care of them, to protect them, they'd go here to wicked nations and wicked kings and say, help us. And Hosea is saying, you're not going to Assyria, because ironically, if you look at history, after this happened, Assyria crushed them. They didn't end up turning back to God, and Assyria crushed them. So you're not going to Assyria, and then he says, you're not going to ride on horses, like, what's that have to do with anything? Riding on horses. Well, if you look again at history, you see that to have horses back then in an army was a game changer. To be able to have horses to ride into battle and to even to ride off to get assistance or to check on troops all over, to have those horses that could go do that was a safety net. It was a security thing. 
And even in our history, where we think of Paul Revere running and say, or riding his horse, you know, the, the British are coming, you know, and there's this security, like we're, we're, we're getting ready as the horses rode out into battle and even rode out to tell warnings. And, and God's saying here, Hosea's saying here, you're not going to take comfort in your horses. You're not going to go get help from other nations. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So here's David understanding that. Understanding that it's not found, our security isn't found in these things that can supposedly protect us. So Hosea makes this statement and and leads me to ask this question to you and to myself. What do you hope in? Where is your security found? Where do you find this security Maybe you say, if I can get this job, if I can get this promotion, if I can get this new car I've always wanted, if I can move into this new neighborhood, or if I can get this renovation done on my house, if, if I can get him to like me, if I can get this new spouse, if I, can, if I can do this, if I can post on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and have someone like what I said, or even, whoa, share what I said, right? And then I got all these likes, I got all these people viewing what I did. Maybe, if I can, if I can, if I can, and it never ends. Because you get what you said, if I can, and then you look for something else, right? There's no security there. There's no assurance there. If I can look better, if I can work out, if I can do this or that. It still leaves you empty at the end of the day. And God's saying here through his servant Hosea, Don't trust in Assyria. Don't trust in in these horses. You're not going to trust in the work of your hands to create something amazing. He's saying all this is failure. And he even gets into the topic of of the orphan. And he's saying, even in the topic of orphan, he's saying that we as a people and God's people willingly made themselves orphans. They had a father, now not physically, But spiritually, God offered to be their father, but by chasing this false security and chasing this other stuff, they willingly made themselves orphans and wandered around and wandered around chasing stuff and chasing things and chasing security or whatever it is, and they willingly said, I don't have a father anymore. John Calvin gives a good quote on this. He says, These are the two pests which are wont to bring destruction on men. For nothing is more ruinous than to transfer our hope from God. And this is done in two ways. Either when men trust in their own strength or pride themselves on human aids and despise God as if they can be safe without him. Or when they give up themselves to false superstitions. You see, the world back then in Hosea's day was full of false hope and security. And it hasn't changed much since, I don't think, huh? We represent in this room a bunch of false security, a bunch of false hope, a bunch of things that we think will make us happy, a bunch of things that we think will satisfy us that are found apart from Jesus. And Hosea is saying, look, people, this isn't going to satisfy We have a tremendous opportunity and responsibility as individuals and as a church body to show that our security does not rest on the shifting sands of culture. 
we have this responsibility. And so some of you are sitting there thinking, I thought this was a love song. Sounds kind of depressing and kind of hitting us pretty hard. Well, we're getting into a love song here, so don't worry. Verse 4. Verse 4 starts the official love song. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. So we see in this passage God's mercy raining down on his people. Mercy, when we think about that word, when we think about that topic and we look for a definition of mercy, the simple definition would be compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So you look at the story of Hosea. Hosea, this man who was called to marry an unfaithful woman who knew that she would step out on him, knew that she would cheat on him. And he had every right to get rid of her and to even call for her to be outcast from society. Every right to punish her, but instead he embraces her. We see this graphic description of God's mercy here. And if you look at these pictures, you see a bunch of pictures of nature. You see these pictures of dew when you go on a field that's a a large field and you wake up in the morning and you just see this dew that is endless and it goes on forever. Uh, there's a mention of the lilies. There's a Roman scholar and naturalist in Pliny who spoke of the white lily which grows wild in Israel. And even from one little bulb, there can be 50 different flowers coming from one bulb and, and you see the abundance that God is describing here. The, the vast of nature of his mercy. He, he talks about the trees of Lebanon, which are well referenced in Scripture. Some of them grow up to 100 feet tall and 6 feet wide. The olive being a source of wealth and prosperity for his people. He's mentioning this to help us understand the abundance of his mercy. The grain, the vine, the wine of Lebanon, which was the most popular wine in its region, even dating back 5,000 years to the Phoenicians. And he says all these things, not just to make them appreciate nature, but he says these things to help them to see how abundant his love and mercy is to his people, how abundant Hosea's mercy and love was to his wife, and how abundant God's mercy and love is to us, the body of Christ, his church. And so you see this graphic example, and he says, I will love them freely, no strings attached. This mercy, the fulfillment of these things is only found in Jesus Christ. The one, the Messiah they were searching for in this book and the Messiah we see that came and conquered death. That's where it's found, this great mercy. So as recipients of God's great mercy, we as individuals and as a church respond in thankful humility by showing what true mercy looks like to others. And then lastly, we think about restoration. We've seen repentance, we've seen false security, we've seen mercy. We think about restoration. And if you look at verse 8 and 9, we see that happening. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress 
From me comes your fruit. You think about that. From me comes your fruit. You look at the source, and if you look at Scripture, even throughout when Jesus uh, was living on this earth and, and living out the Gospels, you see him reference the vine and reference fruit all the time. And Jesus helped us understand that the only way we have fruit is from the root. You cannot have fruit on a tree without proper roots and strong foundation. And God is saying here, I am the foundation. I am the root. Anything that's done for me or for Jesus, it comes from the root. And your fruit is shown by how you see and observe and embrace the power of that root. And so he makes it clear, very clear, even in John 15, 1 and 2, we see this addressed. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the Israelites, they struggled often with their desire for a king. They struggled for an earthly king when God promised to be their father and their king. And we see their struggle, even uh, Hosea mentions it. If you flip back one chapter to Hosea 13, he says, verse 10, Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your, your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. He's saying, look, where's he at? Where's this king you wanted that was supposed to save you, supposed to help you? Where, where was this man you placed your false security and false hope in? Where's he at now? Where is he to save you? And he's helping us understand, look, the true king you look at verse 9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The ways of the Lord. Well, how do we know what the ways of the Lord look like? How do we know what that looks like? Well, the church answer, the Sunday school answer, is a great one. Jesus. Jesus is how we know what the ways of the Lord look like. And we have the privilege that these people didn't have that were reading this scripture, this prophecy. We have the ability to look back and see Jesus works. And we see that it wasn't placed, his works weren't uh, represented by himself setting himself up as a king to be served and to be worshipped and for people to bow down to. Instead, he came, the works of the Lord were Jesus in action, loving people, showing mercy to them, feeding them, caring for them, and serving others. A little bit different than false security. A little bit different than what Israel was doing, searching for this something in a king, in security, somewhere else. But he also says the unrighteous don't know him. The unrighteous don't know the works of God. And they don't know the works of God because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the Jesus that came to die on the cross, to pay for the sins, to eventually be killed for our sins. To go into the grave and arise again and conquer death. And if you're in here today and you don't know that, and you don't know Jesus, today's the day to embrace that. To embrace that mercy. To embrace that love that God offers through His Son. 
So we have a unique privilege as a church body to model what God-ordained restoration looks like that puts its full and complete hope in Jesus. And for the past five weeks and today, we've been looking at some videos that kind of help us understand and graphically help us realize what Hosea and Gomer were going through and the pain that Hosea experienced and, and the sin of his wife And today we get to see the culmination of that and help us understand what did that, what happened eventually uh, with this couple. So let's go ahead and check that out together. of this woman who's been unfaithful, willingly unfaithful, who was embraced by her husband, shown mercy, shown grace, 
And it's the picture that we see in Hosea. What Hosea did for his wife, what God did for his people, and what God continues to do for us, his people. He's waiting to embrace. He's waiting to accept the repentance that you offer in your words. He's waiting for you to run from false security and false hope and embrace the mercy that is so freely offered to us. So I ask you today to come with repentance, forsaking your false security. Embrace the never-ending mercy found in God alone and experience true restoration that only comes through Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you thankful. Thankful for your word. Thank you, thankful for uh, Hosea who obeyed you regardless of what he knew was coming. Thankful that it represents a picture of your mercy, your love that's never ending. I pray for anyone in here that needs to repent, which I, I, I imagine is most of us. And we will repent and turn to you and realize that you ask for our words to, even if it is for the thousandth time, that you ask for us to speak words as we have a relationship with you. Pray that you will help us to recognize your mercy and for those that don't know you, that they will trust your everlasting mercy and grace today for the payment of their sin, for a new life with you. Pray that you'll continue to restore us into a right relationship with you. Bless us as we go live that out this week. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.